You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. Okay, if you've been listening for very long, you know that the way I usually start off my show is by introducing the way that I've met my guest. And today, I actually want to throw it out to Celeste and see if you have a <laughs> recollection of how, <laughs> of how you met me and see if it lines up with how I remember meeting you. Well, I remember that we were new to town. My husband and I had met in California and lived in Eastern Oregon for a number of years and then moved back to my hometown where I had grown up. And we were trying out some new churches and we happened to end up at Pam's church. Um, we finished whatever the, the sermon was or, or whatever, and we were on our way out. And um, I had a bunch of my kids with me. Um, and I think I had eight at the time. And Pam comes up behind me and goes, are those all yours? And then I turned around, you know, kind of like, hmm, okay. And she said, oh, no, I'm just teasing. I, I have a whole bunch of them too and introduced herself. And so that's how we met. And when I came home, I found out we had so many mutual friends. And um, so that was just a fun connection. And I, I don't know that we stopped talking after that. That is exactly the story I was thinking. And I, it's not always, you don't always remember how you met somebody, but I distinctly remember the day that I met you because I remember um, watching you at church and watching you with all your kidlets and counting them all. And that night, I think I only had two of mine with me, but at the time, I believe I had, I might've had nine, eight or nine myself. I can't remember. And, and so I remember, I, I just know that when we go places with our large family, people <laughs> always say something. And so, yeah, Some I was, comment. yes, I was being a little ornery that night, but you took it in, in um, Jess, and <laughs> we kind of have had fun with that ever since. So that's true. Anyway, yep. So that's how I remember meeting you as well. So would you like to introduce your family otherwise? Sure. So I have um, 10 children currently. My oldest daughter is Mary, just signed papers to buy their first house this weekend um, or this past weekend. And um, I have one that's just finishing up at college. She's at Boise State University. And then I have one at Bible College this year. I have a 17 year old son. And then I have a uh, almost 16 year old, um, and then a 14, 12, 10, five, almost five, oh my goodness, and a two year old. Yes. So, okay, so we're just going to jump right in because um, I know, Celeste, you and I could talk for probably three <laughs> or four hours. And or days. <laughs> We, we've spent a lot of time talking through the years, and I know we could just go on and on. So we are going to try to isolate it to this one incident in your life, this one story that really has been a challenge. It's been a huge challenge, but also 
an area that God's used to grow your faith. And so do you want to just kind of take us back to the beginning of like how you were feeling at the time and, and what happened? Yeah. So, um, so I had my youngest son was born in 2018. Um, he was born in April and, um, and I had just not felt great. I thought I was, you know, getting older. It was a a harder pregnancy, a little bit longer birth than I was used to. Um, I was very lethargic. I generally have pretty good energy. I, I stay fairly healthy. And so it was, it was, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't do anything to help myself feel better. And um, I, so after he was born, um, I just felt like there was something I needed to follow up with. I needed to be seen or, or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not typically a huge, I don't run to the doctor for everything. You know, I've got 10 kids, I'm busy. I don't have time for that. And so I had gone for my six week checkup and, and they had said that it, it seemed like my, my uterus was kind of on one side. It seemed more enlarged than usual. And, and I had never had that happen before with you know, 10 kids, but they kind of said, well, you know, that can happen. You've, you've had a lot of kids. Maybe it's just not shrinking like it had. And totally unbeknownst to all of us, there was actually a tumor that was, was growing there and um, was, was actually going to be growing pretty rapidly, which I had no idea. And so, um, so I kind of just went on with my life, tried to, you know, recover from baby like you do and get into life as a mom. I was very busy homeschooling and, um, just doing a, all kinds of things that, you know, moms do running to sports events and, and I'm pretty active in, in most of those kinds of things. And so, so around, I would say, I, I don't know, I, th I think it was around November that I started to notice my, my belly just wasn't shrinking like it typically did. It was, it seemed swollen and you know, it wasn't super concerning. I was just a little discouraged, like, man, this mom belly, it's just, it's just, you know, right there. And we did our Christmas pictures. And when I got them back, I could visibly see that my abdomen didn't look normal. And I, you know, I have had some kids that were pretty close together, but I knew that I wasn't pregnant. It didn't, it didn't seem pregnancy related. And I thought, okay, I'm going to really, you know, take the bull by the horns. I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to do something about this. And so I was trying to include my kids in things that I do. And I had decided to kind of start this like floor routine kind of thing. I'm going to do some stretches and some, you know, maybe some kind of stuff to get my, my abs working or something like that. And so I had my kids like down on the floor with me. And I just remember I felt this. I felt the tumor like I could tell when I when I laid on my back and I had the kids kind of climbing on my legs or whatever and I felt it and I went oh that's not normal something's there something shouldn't be there and I my dad had had diverticulitis I thought perhaps it was something like that you know maybe maybe I'm having some kind of gastrointestinal problems I need to go see a specialist or something like that you know and so um so that was really kind of the beginning of it and so I started talking with my husband and my adult children were going to be coming home and visiting for Christmas and so I finally sat the three oldest girls down and I just said I said, I don't know what's going on, but something's not normal. And I think I need to go into the doctor. And so we decided to do it while they were home because they could 
keep kids and um, kind of know what was going on. So, so I ended up going in and um, they immediately did a CT scan and said that my, my levels didn't look normal and told me that they thought it was, it was possibly some kind of cancer and I would need to follow up with a specialist. I mean, you just don't expect to hear that, you know, when you're healthy, (laughs) you don't feel, you know, old and, um, and my, my boyfriend, right. He was, he was barely seven or eight months old. I mean, he wasn't very old because he had been born in April and this was December then. Um, and so I had kind of put it off for a month. Um, and the guy just said, well, you know, until you follow up with a, a cancer doctor, you really don't know what your time frame is going to look like. It could be, you know, six months. It could be a lot longer. Well, I had just had a good friend of mine who was only 35, who had had a diagnosis of breast cancer. It was a rare form of breast cancer. And she had lived six months and died. And so it was very fresh in my mind that she had left her husband with her babies. And I knew that that was a reality. And, and, and what was interesting is that for probably a decade, I had wrestled with the verse 1 Peter 3.15, which says that be ready always to give an answer to any man that asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And I had memorized that verse as a kid for whatever reason, that was a verse that had stood out to me. And I wrestled with God over what is the hope that is in me? You know, how do I, how do I tell people what hope is? And I, I really struggled with that verse and I felt like God began to show me what the hope that was in me was. I didn't know. And, and I don't know why that particular thing really stood out to me, but hope became the word that I, I really clung to. And, um, so my aunt had actually asked me at some point um, during this journey what a word was that had stood out to me. And I just immediately said hope because that was that was my word. And so when I would go out places, if I saw a little sign that said hope, I would buy it, you know. Um, and she bought me a little necklace that said hope. And, and so that just became something I really clung to. And then the verse in Romans. 1513, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that became kind of my, my new verse that I wanted to overflow with hope. Um, and so, uh, you know, of course, I, I'm a very private person. I, I don't generally like to draw a lot of attention to myself. I'm you know, I was kind of raised that way. I'm pretty matter of fact. If you if you know me, I, I like the bottom line. Um, and so this was really hard to share. It was really hard to reach out. It was hard to, you know, not be the mom that does everything and, and to let people do things for you and to let go. So anyway, so those those verses just really started to help me be able to have kind of foundation to share about it. I, I just um, shared how I felt like this was something that God needed me to journey on in order to really grasp what that hope was. And I didn't know why I had to, you know, face a death sentence to <laughs> really start to see that, but, but that's how it started to feel. And so, um, so that kind of started the, 
the ball rolling pretty quickly. I needed to go to a lot of doctor's appointments. Um, they immediately told me that I needed to have surgery to have um, these tumors removed. And then they were going to be able to biopsy them and find out what kind of tumors they were, whether they really were cancerous or not. And so I went in for my first surgery a few weeks later. And so I had to immediately get my breastfed baby figured out, you know, how he was going to get on some bottles. I was determined to keep trying to breastfeed. And so I was pumping <laughs> all the way up until my surgery and tried to get that back afterward as, as soon as I could, because you can't, you know, you can't give a baby milk if there's a lot of contaminants in your body. And so I chose not to do really any of the heavy kinds of drugs that they give you for recovery. Um, I went off of painkillers almost immediately. <laughs> I just said, my baby's health's more important than mine right now <laughs> because I wanted to make it to at least a year with him on some kind of breast milk. So, um, so started that journey, which was interesting. And um, so after that first surgery went in for the the second surgery because they did find that it was um, some kind of cancer and they they knew that they hadn't successfully removed everything the first time. Um, and so we ended up having to find a specialist in another state that was going to be able to do that surgery since the, the doctors here in Oregon, there wasn't any specialists anywhere nearby. And so I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but but anyway, so we really had to plan as a family how that was going to work, you know, for, for us to be gone, for our kids to be taken care of, for our community to come around us and make sure things were going to keep running because it was going to be a much longer recovery the second time. Um, it was a pretty big incision. Um, so they, they went all the way from my sternum down to my pubic bone, um, straight down, and then it was going to be very long. So it was like a 14 hour surgery. And after going through all of that and having, you know, my daughters coming home from college, my newly married daughter coming over to take kids, we had grandparents kind of trying to come in and out, people bringing the kids food every night. And it was just so humbling. And you really don't know going into something like that if you're going to make a recovery or not. Because, you know, they say, well, this is your best chance, but that's pretty much what you have. And so it was a lot of just dying to self. And I've always been a big fan of Elizabeth Elliot. And I began to resonate with parts of her story more so than I ever had before. Not because <clears throat> obviously my husband didn't die or, you know, a tragic death or anything like that, but just her perspective on suffering. Um, she has a book called what is it? It's a path to suffering. And it's a short book, but the whole thing is about how we see in nature, just that dying to something always produces something else. And that something has to die in order for something good to come of it. And I began to just cling to those truths. Um, I'm also a huge Keith Green fan absolutely love Keith Green and his music just ministered to me. My husband put it on like a little thumb drive and was able to just play those songs. And, um, you know, he died relatively young and left his wife with his children and 
and I just, I just felt like I could, I could really see where I wanted to be close to the Lord. Like I never had before. I wanted to see his face and I had always kind of feared what would I, would I really want to be there and face judgment, you know, because to me, I think even as having been you know, raised in a Christian home and, and knowing the truths of scripture my whole life, that really wanting to face you know, you know, you're selfish, you know, you're, you're stuck on, you know, silly things or, or you have desires that aren't from the Lord and, and letting go of those things. That's really not something we, we think about in our day-to-day life. You know, we typically just kind of try to get done our to-do list. (laughs) So it was a lot of just sleepless nights of just a lot of those thoughts. So what kind of cancer was it? I can't remember the exact, I know it was very rare. Yeah. So appendix cancer, it's actually, it has this long-term, it's like pseudomoxa something, something, which means that it hides itself as something else. So the, the first part pseudo, it, it generally never reveals itself until it's spread, which is part of why it's generally not diagnosed until it is in the fourth stages and can already have, you know, infected different I don't think that's the right word, but affected organs that it cannot be removed successfully. And so that's always kind of the concern going in is um, what organs were affected. And so, um, so they knew going into the surgery that I was going to lose something, you know, we just didn't know what or how extensive, I mean, it's like two pages of these documents that you get from the doctor's office going, these are all the possible things in your abdomen that could be affected. It doesn't generally spread outside the abdomen, which I've heard is, is kind of one of the, can be a good thing. Although there's different forms of it. And so certain ones um, are just more aggressive than others. Mine was actually considered the less aggressive version. Um, So even though it had spread it really just would depend on what organs were affected. So you kind of sign them off on, go ahead and take whatever you need to because you want to save my life. And so, um, so it's kind of an, a, a blank check. And, and the surgery, like I said, is pretty extensive and pretty exhausting. And then um, you can't eat at all because it's digestive. You know, it affects a lot of your digestive system. So I spent several days just totally out of it. So I don't remember the exact timing. Um, It seems like you guys were just really praying that you would be home by... Fourth of July. Fourth of July, that was it. So that particular time at the hospital, you guys were out of state. You had lots of your little ones at home. That, I mean, just being away, you're not used to being away from your babies and until they go off to college. (laughs) And so... I know that was like, you expected a really long time and God just came through on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had, we knew that we had a few months to prepare for that, which was a blessing in some ways because yeah, a lot of stuff happened in those couple months. They, because it was abdominal, they fear that cutting through everything too close together can cause other complications. And so since I had had surgery in January, they did want to wait a few months to 
um, basically reopen you. <laughs> and so they kind of give you a time to go through a recovery period. So we did have a lot of time in that sense, not a lot, but um, some time to kind of think through systems and organization and, and trying to get who's going to do what so that the house will function and run when we're not here and who's going to go where. And I, yeah, letting go of, you know, your nursing baby and letting somebody else try to, um, in fact, I remember the morning that we were heading out to fly to Texas, just nursing my baby. And, and really because of, again, the not knowing what the end result would be, um, they tell you that you'll likely have a full hysterectomy, which is a lot more extensive than, <clears throat> than people think. It's more than just a, like a typical hysterectomy. When they do a full hysterectomy, it's, it's pretty extensive. There's, there's just, um, in fact, a lot of people lose a lot more than just their uterus and their, you know, ovaries. Um, and so that was a very real possibility. Like this is my last baby and I have to, I have to just wean him spur of the moment on my way to the airport. So I, I did, I cried, you know, feeding him. And um, if you've, if you've nursed babies, you know, that's just kind of an emotional thing anyway, when they decide they don't need you anymore. And then to do it so abruptly was hard. I, I don't know if that fully answers what you're, what you're asking, but, but we did have some time to kind of put those things in place and know, okay, this is the one that's going to do this chore and keep this running and we have several animals and you know a lot of those kind of things so I remember they had expected you to not get home till like July 9th or something and you were like oh I'm I'm praying I'm trusting God that I'll be home for the holiday and yeah. that was what I remember is that um it was like things just went as well as they could be and you made it home for 4th of July, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty miraculous, really, that um, that I started to recover because, um, like I was saying afterward, it's a pretty rigorous recovery. You literally can't even eat ice. They don't want anything in your digestive system because it, it's been through a lot. They, you know, they go in and they scrape everything and they do a heated chemotherapy, which I is probably controversial. I don't know, isn't everything, but, um, but when they heat everything up, it's kind of kills, you know, it's essentially supposed to try to kill any cancer cells, but it also kills a lot of other things that are in there. So after they've scraped everything, they put this heated therapy in there and um, leave it for like an hour and you're being rocked so that it sloshes through everything and tries to cover everything. So you're essentially kind of sewed up for a temporary time and then taken back apart. <laughs> and then they try to clean all the, the toxins out and my lung collapsed afterward because of all the tubes and things like that. And so then I was getting x-rays every, you know, several times a day after, you know, it's just for someone who's, who's been relatively healthy, never had a surgery before I had never, you know, I was very against radiation and all these kinds of things. And I'm just like a guinea pig. I felt like to all of these procedures. So, um, so yeah, the recovery was definitely going to be longer than they had expected. And I, and I wasn't bouncing back. <laughs> and so this is all so recent, like, I mean, it's barely 2021 right now. And this whole journey for you started in 2018, you said. Right. And so after you go through a whole process like this, there are rechecks and checkups and every, every periodically, we'll say. 
And right. so tell me about that. You went for a checkup. You went for your periodic yeah. check-in. So they, they tell you that, um, that generally if this type of cancer is going to come back, if they missed something, um, that it's probably going to come back in the first two years. And so we kind of had this like time frame in the back of our minds, like, we'll see what happens. And so after, so I, I should just share before we actually came home from the hospital, um, kind of my turning point was, I guess one night I was just feeling especially discouraged and, and I hadn't, so I don't really know how to phrase all this, but, but essentially the night before I went in for the surgery, I just, I had already lost one ovary and I just had it on my heart that if there was any way that I could keep my other ovary to keep my hormones regulating that no matter how long I had, I just really would like to not be pushed into a, a pretend menopause <laughs> too soon and let my body be able to, to do that naturally besides all the organs are connected and all of this. So I had actually sent out to specific people on my prayer chain to pray for that one thing. That was like my one miracle. I was just praying that the Lord would preserve my one ovary. And so the doctor had really questioned that because ovaries are very they just have a lot to them. There's a lot of spots that little tiny cells can hide. And he said, if you keep that, you know, there's, there's a 50, 50 chance that this will come back in that spot. And it generally will. And I had said, you know, that I was, I was comfortable with him keeping it. If it looked healthy when he went in there, if everything looked the way it was supposed to, I was comfortable with him keeping that and taking this 50, 50 chance. And he said, he said, well, that's, you know, that's a big chance that it, that you're risking a lot. And I said, I said, you know, I just, I just knew that if God wanted that, that he would allow that to look healthy, like it was supposed to, and, you know, see what happens. So, so I didn't know because of the recovery being pretty extensive, I didn't know for the first three days that I had actually survived that organ, that that was one that that hadn't been taken out. And I, so I, I should have probably felt extremely, you know, blessed that the Lord was allowing that, but, um, but you get pretty beat down after, you know, being exhausted with that. So, so really kind of settled in, like, I was very thankful, but at the same time, I was having all these other emotions. I wanted to be home with my kids and I was, you know, not feeling great. So, so that, that was exciting in that sense, but not maybe impressed on me as much as, as possible. So the, the evening though, because I was kind of waking up from some of the grogginess and comprehending more things, um, I just, I had my family picture and I was just really missing everybody. And I started crying and this little nurse came in who'd probably been nursing for, I don't know, 40 years or something. She looked ready to retire. She was so sweet. And, and she had this real thick accent. Um, she was Asian and um, had come in and, and just said, you know, oh, sweetie, you know, why are you crying? And, and I had just told her, you know, this is my family. This is what I'm missing. And, and I just really want to get home to them. And, um, and so she just had tried to be somewhat encouraging to me and, and had actually come in and bent down on the ground at my feet and, and prayed for me. And, um, 
and just, it was just such a blessing. I, I needed that. And so I kind of pulled myself back together and had my evening. And I literally woke up the next morning, you know, they wake you up like 10 times a night poking you and doing this or that. But I woke up the next morning and I just felt like I can do this. I can recover. I can, I can get strong again. I want to get home. And she came in the next morning and she just went, Oh, Oh, you're doing so much better. They're going to discharge you early. And it was like a total turning point. And I just felt like her prayer had meant so much to me. And she said, she said, I went home and, and I pray for you. And she said, she said, I, I never usually do that. You know, I don't usually just feel so connected to this, this other person. And she said, but I, I, I prayed so hard. I cried. (laughs) I thought, well, she's, she's my prayer warrior that, that I needed that extra excitement, you know, to get me to that next stage. And so, um, so I was just thrilled. They, they did, they ended up letting me go not an, an entire week early, but much earlier than I had anticipated, which was really encouraging. So, yeah, so I went home and started this kind of long process toward healing and, you know, putting your efforts back into just, um, starting life again as best you can and making the adjustments that you need to and went in for my um, CT scan in the next December because you do it um, every six months you have to go in for another CT scan and so I had gone in for that and um, the equipment at the hospital in Silverton was not the same quality as what it had been over there at this cancer center and so they kind of just told me it's inconclusive. We can't really tell it. Your ovary doesn't look normal. You know, so they had preserved that ovary, but it didn't, it didn't appear normal. And I thought, oh, geez, it is going to come back, you know, and I kind of had this looming feeling of what, what am I going to do? How am I going to recover from another surgery? You know, what if it's come back somewhere else? What if it's this or that? And, um, so I kind of just had that hanging over me a little bit, but, um, and people said, how can you even keep going without knowing the answers? And I'm like, I don't know. You just, you just kind of do, you just keep going. Right. And so I was waiting for this second CD scan that we were going to be flying to Texas to get it on a, a better machine that could see a little bit more clearly. And so, you know, summertime came, we booked our tickets. Well, then COVID hits. Oh my goodness. And so that was like a whole other element. Um, so we get to Texas and I knew that my husband wasn't going to be allowed to go with me to any of my appointments because with COVID they were having really high restrictions at the hospital so no one was allowed to attend with you which was is really discouraging when you feel like well what if I get really bad news what do I do I don't have any support person there if you know I'm just there by myself in this waiting room and so that was kind of nerve-wracking so a few weeks before I left I was um just walking like a normal person to my car and I stepped off the curb and I broke my foot. (laughs) And so I went into the hospital for that and it ended up being a blessing because when we got to Texas, I, my husband wheeled me in in a wheelchair and I said, I said, is there any way that he can be, you know, get approval to come with me to my appointments so that he can push my wheelchair because I can't walk. I broke my foot. And they actually gave him full approval for the entire time that we were going to be there, which was like three days of appointment. So that ended up kind of being a blessing in disguise. I went in for the first day of 
testing and blood work and whatnot. Um, and I wasn't going to see my specialist for until the third day because they want to get all your tests done. And so, um, so Scott was able to be there with me and, and take me into these various appointments. So I, I believe it was the second day was the day that I was supposed to go in and have my CT scan and I'd already run a lot of my blood work. And they said, um, they said, well, we can't approve your CT scan because um, your hormone levels don't look normal. Is there any reason that your hormones would be off? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not on any medications or anything like that. And um, so they kind of got a little frazzled and tried to figure out what was going on. And then my, finally, the the doctor just said, uh, or the, the, I guess he was like a technician, you know, whoever was doing the, the lab work. He said, well, we need to get special approval from your doctor. We can't get a hold of him because he's in the OR today. So if they're in the operating room, they can't, you know, receive messages or anything. So he said, we're reaching out to the um, physician's assistant who's trying to reach out to some other doctors who might be able to tell us whether or not we should go through with the CT scan. And I'm just sitting there going, I have not eaten since last night at five o'clock when I had dinner. I'm, I'm really getting grumpy. You know, what are you doing? Why can we not just go in? I just want to take my contrast and get in there anyway. So it ended up that, um, that they finally just said, you know, we, we think that you could possibly be pregnant and we, we don't want to risk the the fetus if this is a pregnancy and I went there's no way I can be pregnant like they told me that you know this like surgery and all of this chemotherapy kill all of your eggs there's no way that any of them even survived and if they did it's going to be deformed and it's probably not going to survive anyway you know so I was feeling pretty like this guy's nutso you know but they ended up um, letting me leave, go get lunch and said, um, we'll have your doctor follow up with you. So the physician's assistant called me, probably we we're waiting for our lunch. So within the hour and said, we want you to come back and get an ultrasound. So we did. And um, because of Scott being able to be there, <laughs> um, I just kind of said, just push me into the room. And so as he's pushing me in, the lady said, uh, the nurse that was going to be doing the ultrasound said, do you need his assistance? And I said, oh yeah, <laughs> which was such a blessing because can you even imagine getting news like that when you're in there just, you know, thinking like the worst, like I, you know, they're going to tell me that the cancer's back up and I have to get another surgery or something like that. And then you get this totally unexpected news. So yeah, so he just pushed me right into the room. Yeah, yeah, I need him here. So he was able to be there, but in a cancer center, they're not typically doing baby ultrasound. So they didn't show us anything. They wouldn't show us the screen. They just kind of wanted to know what it was. And so then the lady wrapped up and said, okay, we're done. And I'm like, oh, so what's the deal? Like, tell me some news. And she's like, oh no, we can't share anything until you've talked to your doctor, which was the next day. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to sleep at all tonight if I don't at least know what's going on. So I had to put in a request to see the radiologist who could approve me to see this ultrasound and find out some information. And he was willing to come in, which my doctor the next day told me was very rare. Radiologists don't typically walk away from their desk and they certainly don't come in and confer with patients. So he did, he came in and he talked with me and 
And um, he said, well, would you like to see the ultrasound? And I said, yeah. And so he showed us where there was a six week, four day baby where they could see the heartbeat pretty strong. And he said, it's got a strong heartbeat. It looks like a viable pregnancy. There was some, some hemorrhaging on the edge of the, the yolk sac, I guess, or something like that. Um, which could be a sign of an early miscarriage, but just the fact that I had gotten pregnant was pretty miraculous. And so then we went in and met with the doctor the next day and he was, he was actually jovial um, just for the fact that my recovery was happening. He said, I don't think that your body would survive a, a pregnant or would allow a pregnancy if you weren't recovering pretty well and I'm like but is this baby gonna have three arms like six legs you know three eyes like is there something wrong because they told me the eggs aren't supposed to even survive and he's like no it looks like it's probably a healthy pregnancy but you'll definitely want to follow up so after meeting with the doctor I'm calling my a gynecologic oncologist here in the Portland area and saying, okay, I need to be seen immediately. <laughs> so I made my appointment to see her right away. And she, um, so she confirmed that it looked like everything was healthy and she was excited for us, which was just totally unexpected. And so really my entire vision of you know going into these appointments and thinking god just wanted me to die to myself which he does he wants us to do that every day but this focus on you know death was totally transferred to life and going i'm going to prepare for a new life which i'm doing two weeks now so <laughs> so here we are it's just kind of come full circle. I love it. And as soon as when you texted me from Texas and said, <laughs> oh my goodness, you're not even going to believe this. Uh, actually, I think I had just started the podcast like with a couple weeks before that. Right. And I was like, ooh, someday we're going to tell Celeste's story and to God be the glory for what he has done because um, he heals, he restores, he make sense of things when the doctors can't and he uh, uh what do you call he he befuddles or he um you know he just confounds isn't that the word he confounds those who just have all this wisdom and and god did it and so yeah. i'm excited for the next couple of weeks as you wait for this little baby and i can't wait to hear of the arrival and so anybody listening right now can be praying for you and uh, your delivery and this new little baby. And we can just rejoice in God for what he's done in you and your story. So thank you so much. Now, I just always like to end in prayer. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the opportunities you give in our life to grow in you and to to just learn these things. They're so unexpected, but we know you have a purpose. You have a reason. Lord, I just pray that um, as Celeste speaks to doctors, that your name would be lifted up and that people would see that you had a hand in this. Lord, I pray for this delivery and for this baby. There's such a purpose. It, I just wonder at what this baby will become. Lord, I just thank you for the women listening. And I pray that wherever they are, if they're discouraged, if they've had news that's difficult, that they would see that if they just stay faithful and trusting you, you will bring about 
um, the information they need, the people they need to surround them. And that no matter what we go through, it is to grow us in our walk with you and that we can turn around and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.